hello, and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Massimo DeMarco. He is the CEO of Paestro and the founder of Kitchen United. Massimo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm really glad I have you on. Uh, I was looking into some of your background and you've done some incredible things. Some of the things that you guys are working on, uh, just mind boggling. So why don't you start out and tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, Ben, don't let that fool you. I'm, uh, I'm an Italian goofball and that's by my own definition. I, I love, uh, the hospitality and food industry because I was born in it. I'm seven generation in my family. Um, so seven generation of hotelier and restaurateurs. My mom was a chef and she's really the one that transmitted the passion for the food industry to me. I remember being in the hotel watching her cook every single day and that's where I really developed the passion. So I, um, I generally try to stay away as a kid from uh, working with the business, but then the passion kicked in and I just took it all on. And then I moved to New York City when I was 20 years old. I actually had to wait for my 21st birthday to sign off on the liquor license for my first restaurant. And I opened my very first restaurant in New York City. And, um, so ever since then, I've owned and operated restaurants and, uh, and bars and nightclubs all over the U.S., moved out to California in 92, fell in love with California, did the same thing out here. And, and, and for me, being an operator, I really, I really understood what the pain were in this business because it's so hard to do business in the restaurant. I mean, it's one of the most rewarding uh, businesses you could be on, but it's incredibly hard because of the real estate, the labor costs and all of that. And so after being an operator for many years and, and also helping as a consultant other operators, I realized that there might have been a better way to do business to help the restaurateurs uh, keeping more money on the bottom line. And that's when the idea of Kitchen United started about five years ago. We launched Kitchen United because we wanted to give the ability for these restaurant owners to focus on the off-premise. Um, you know, six or seven years ago, when we designed a restaurant, we never designed a restaurant with the off-premise in mind. So you didn't have the space, you didn't have the area for the drivers to come and pick up, you didn't have the uh, the technology that we have today, like the aggregators and so on. So when uh, all these big orders started coming in from Grababu, Uber Eats and Postmates and so on, all these restaurateurs were in trouble because they already had a full dining room. And so most of the time at lunch or dinner, they had to turn off their, um, their system so that they could actually send out the food in time for their, uh, for their guests. Because otherwise, if they started making those off-premises orders, their guests would suffer and take an hour to get their food. So, as I said, my partner, my, my, my business partner and I, Jeffrey Kalt, um, who is just as, as responsible for that idea uh, of starting Kitchen United, uh, decided that it had to be a better way. So we went out and uh, opened up the very first Kitchen United facility in Pasadena, where we put 14 restaurants in there. And uh, we helped them doing everything. 
Our goal was to let the cook do what they do best. The restaurateurs do what they do best. So cook these amazing recipes they have and give them a space that was equipped and that was optimized for the delivery. So um, from the from the tech stack to the areas where the drivers were coming to pick up, uh, we really optimized it for the, for the deliveries. Um, not happy with that um, because yes, that made a difference and certainly makes a difference today, but the, the, the margin are still so small and then especially during COVID time when a lot of restaurants closed down and the only source of income was the, uh, the off-premise, there was still a lot of, of, of hard times because the labor is what it is, the, the rent it is what it is. So we started already, you know, three years ago to put some automation into these spaces. Therefore, we're helping even more the operators to optimize the space but also to optimize the labor. So we, um, we designed this very in, intense uh, conveyor system with, which would grab the food from each one of the restaurant lines and bring it out to the drivers so they would be very speedy and very efficient and you didn't have to have runners to run the food. And then uh, the next process was jumping on to how do I automate not just the moving of the food, but the actual cooking of the food. And I am on the board of directors of Miso Robotic, which is the, um, the three creative geniuses that invented uh, Flippy the robot that does uh, a number of interesting things in a kitchen. So that is a cobotic uh, experience that you have when you install a, a Flippy. So you still have your operator in the kitchen, but the robot actually assists you in doing the hard part of the work, which is the frying and standing in front of the fryer or the grill all day long is very challenging and very costly. And then again, on and on, um, you know, we launched Piestra, which is another robotic solution for operators so that they can take a lot of the labor off of their plate and also expand a lot faster. So whether you're in the ghost kitchens or, or whether you are using this automated, uh, I call them outposts, um, they are giving the operator the ability to make their business reach areas where they couldn't go for a fraction of the price, right? So you can definitely go into a ghost kitchen in a different area and experiment how well the, it, your, your product is received. And then if it does really well, you can open a small restaurant in that area, but you didn't risk a big amount of money, like a million and a half or two millions. The same thing with Piestro, you can take one of these beautiful automated, fully automated pizzerias and put them in five different areas and supply it from your main restaurants because you refill them every morning. And so that becomes a way for them to go into new areas without spending a lot of money because you spend about $75,000 for a Piestro machine versus a million to open a new pizzeria. So that's some of the fun things that I've been working on. Yeah, so you touched on a lot of really cool stuff, um, but I want to start back towards the beginning of what you were saying. So you said you moved here when you were 20 years old from Italy, and then you were signing your first uh, liquor license off when you were 21. So what was that leap of faith like for you to come to an entirely new country that you'd never been to and to try and start something that could keep you grounded here? Well, the passion for what we do, because being able to share something, I remember my grandfather said, if you can bring in a guest, whether it's the hotel or the restaurant, 
and feed them a great meal and a great experience. They'll go home happy, but you'll go home happy too. And I started practicing that with them back at home. And when I came out here, I realized that uh, there were some great Italian restaurants in New York. We're talking about 1986. So there were some great restaurants, but there was also a new wave of Italian cooks coming into this country that had a little bit different of a idea of how to present the Italian food, which is in a much better, uh, lighter and healthier way. And so that's what we became working on it. So uh, to answer your question, was it was a dream to make something uh, fun happen in a different country. And it was that that motivation and discipline that I was taught by both my mother, who was a chef, and my father, who was chief of police. So talk about discipline, right? because <laughs> at the base of success, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're not disciplined, whether it's your business or your marriage or you name it, you know, your, your sports uh, life, uh, it, it, if you don't have the discipline, you're not going to be successful. So because of my discipline and by, because of my upbringing with my parents, I think that that was... That was the uh, the tool that I had in in my in my tool belt, so that it could push me to do amazing things. And I also wanted to emulate some of my my family, right? I right. wanted to make my parents proud, my grandparents proud, and so being able to take what we were born with, what we were able to do in our own country, and bring it to the United States was a sense, you know, pride um, that that you know I wanted to put forward and. And I was very fortunate that uh, that it paid off. Yeah, and I mean, thank God too. I'm uh, about fifty percent Italian, so I definitely understand the discipline aspect in uh, Italian homes. It's it's a little hard to explain or, or understand if you're not any Italian. But um, you know, really, I think what you're touching on is that passion, and I think passion is like the most important thing that you can have, along with that discipline. But if you're not passionate about something, you're not going to get it done. Um, and I think your story is really interesting to me because you started basically from scratch, uh, to use a food pun, and then you kind of worked your way up. You were really, really popular and successful in the rent restaurant industry in terms of owning and operating. But then even more than that, you were still passionate about food, but your determination and your motivation around that changed a little bit and moved into food with also robotics and automation. So how did that change come about? Did you wake up one day and decide that you wanted to start trying to automate the way that we eat and consume and make food? No, I think it's really the fact that I was an operator that was tired of spending so much money um, doing what people have been doing for the last 100 years and, and trying to figure out how we could make it better. Because, you know, going to robotics, you know, people think, oh yeah, you're substituting the, the labor, but it's not just that because yes, that's just, that's part of it. But the, the, important, the important part of the robotics that we're working on is really uh, how consistent the food that is made by a robot can be. The robot is not going to burn your fries. The robot knows exactly when those fries are going in into that oil, how hot that oil needs to be. Uh, they know how long that burger needs to sit on that uh, on that grill and how to remove it, when to remove it, when to add cheeses on. So they don't make mistakes. 
usually a robot doesn't drop food on the floor. And so talk about, you know, the, the constant, constant recipe being done right, not having waste. And then now with the artificial intelligence, it's, it's even more beneficial because you're able to do your inventory management with these robots. So you know what you need to reorder and what you don't need to reorder. You know, historically, we always had a manager that would go around at the end of the night after a long shift and was really tired and start looking at, okay, what did I run out of? What do I need to order? And then maybe put a, a zero instead of an eight. And then when he calls in at late at night, the order to the suppliers makes a mistake. So he only gets, you get zero instead of eight the next day. So you're missing this. These machines are able to calculate what you've consumed, what you, they can do predictive analytics based on the day of the week and, or, or, you know, if it's a lunchtime or a dinner time and, and if it's a weekend versus a, a day of the week. So that is also very helpful because if you don't make mistake ordering, you are never going to run out of food or, you know, unless you run out of food because it was incredibly busy, then great predictive analytics next time will do better. But at the same time, you don't waste things. You don't have fish left over. Um, so the machine is actually being able to identify how long has this piece of uh, salmon been sitting in your refrigerator and give you something that says, okay, you need to sell this by today because tomorrow is not going to be the same. So put it out on special at 50% off or, or, or something of that kind. So this is where the intelligence really comes in. And, and honestly, it's, it's a lot simpler to run a machine like that than having a very talented chef that uh, maybe is extremely tired and it makes mistakes. It's, it's human, right? That's, that's how it is. So the machine won't make mistakes. Yeah, I think automation and, and moving forward into like the future of food is definitely the right decision. Um, and you mentioned this too, the concept of you are kind of replacing certain aspects of that labor for better or for worse. So what do you say to people who might suggest that the automation of, of food making is really killing jobs? Well, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting take. And I think that for somebody that is outside looking in, that I, it's very justifiable, but I'm going to challenge that thought because one of the first thing that you would do as a restaurateur if you're successful in a restaurant, you making more money in a restaurant uh, because you have, you were able to cut a little bit of your labor because you use robotics. What's the next thing you're gonna do? Every restaurateur doesn't go into the restaurant business to have one restaurant. They want to have more. They want to be successful. They want to go into another city. So if you are able to have more profits, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna invest more money into another location. So. You're going to hire more people. Uh, so maybe it goes to wash. Maybe by the third restaurant, you have the same amount of people that you would have had with one restaurant and uh, in, in no robot, robotics. But at the same time, you injected money into the economy and, you know, you still need people that are going to build these restaurants, right? So you're going to need the people, the designer, you're going to need uh, the carpenters and all of that. So you, you already created more jobs anyway. But... Ultimately, there is, there is so much more that goes into these robots because now that we have a lot of robots on the field or in the kitchens, you need somebody to tend to these robots. 
So you are creating more jobs because you need more people to program them. You need people to maintain them. You need people to run them um, and test them. So what you have done, you might have swapped out some uh, low paying jobs for some higher paying jobs because the people that are programming are making, you know, it's a better job programming than actually um, doing a job of, you know, frying or something, right? Um, interesting enough, we, we have a product right now, I call it the navigation system for the kitchens, where you don't even need a robot anymore. You're going to have a KDS that can actually show a cook um, that doesn't have to be the most sophisticated grill man, maybe in a steakhouse, where you have 30 of these beautiful, expensive steaks on the grill at the same time. And you need a very talented grill man not to make any mistake, because any mistake that you make it costs you tons of money. So all you have to do is now hire somebody that follows the navigation system and you have the KDS that tells you A2 needs to be turned, A9 needs to be removed and so on. So it, it really tells you via uh, voice and, and via screen and different colors at what point each one of those stakes is at any given time. So chances are when that steak goes out on the floor, you know, you're not going to have that mistake where the, where the steak is overcooked. And again, uh, it's a better job to be an operator of that kind than actually going and, you know, being in the weeds when you're very busy and trying to say, okay, this was the medium rare. No, no, that was the, you know. It, it gets very complicated, and so mistakes happen when, when you're super busy. Right. The machine will not make a mistake and will make this uh, operator uh, work uh, in a much better environment. Yeah, I think that brings up a good point, which is that, you know, you can actually create a lot of jobs through um, these systems and, and through using robotics. And I think I also like the point about if you're successful in what you're doing and, and it does take off, then that person who is utilizing that is making more money. They're also wasting less money and they're going to be more inclined to open up more restaurants. And I think I've seen a video of uh, Flippy making burgers and it's it's pretty cool. It feels like we're kind of living in, in this future, uh, you know, society where we don't necessarily need to have somebody who's manning the grill and, and, you know, getting grease all over themselves the whole time. You just have a robot that's doing the dirty work and, and taking the time and being precise, which is something that humans struggle with. Um, and I think, too, moving on to Istro, I mean, the concept of having a pizzeria that could fit in, in a studio like this is a really cool concept. And, and being able to be that entrepreneur that owns it and just having to fill it up occasionally and maybe do some maintenance I mean, that that would appeal to the entrepreneur inside of me. So what kind of results have you guys seen from Pistro so far? At what stage are you guys? How many exist? What's what's going on with that project? It's a great question, Ben. So we are not in the field yet with the machines. Uh, we are testing them with some selected partners because what we do, um, it, it for us, it's not as important to have a Paestro brand. It's more important to create this wide-label machine for successful uh, brands out there. And we have worked with a number of them, and we have some really great announcement coming up very soon with some major um, pizza brands. 
where we have gone in, in with their culinary teams and brought them into our lab and work with them to recreate their recipes for the pizza that they have in their restaurant. Because clearly, if you have Ben's Pizza and Ben's Pizza is well known in the Chicago area and you're gonna go out and put 10 machines, uh, people are gonna go, oh, does this robot really make a good pizza? That's the first thing they're gonna ask. But if they go there and they try it and they know Ben's Pizza and the pizza that comes out is exactly the one that they're used to get into your restaurant, then they're gonna be loyal followers, right? I'll tell you something even more interesting. What we have heard back from the chef partners of these companies, and not that I didn't know, but is that when you go to a restaurant, even if it's your favorite restaurant, doesn't matter if it's pizza or, or, or pasta or anything else, you might go there on an off day when the chef is not there or there's a new cook or the guy doesn't feel well or is not motivated and your pizza is not going to come out the same way every single time. So you're going to have sometime a burnt pizza, sometime an undercooked pizza. Same thing for the pasta and for the other dishes. So this is something that will be avoided with a robot because the pizza is going to come out exactly the same way every single time. Once we have worked out the recipes with them, the interesting experience was this was the most inter interesting experience. The chef partner of this company calling the CEO and say, you're not going to believe the pizza we just made out of a machine. It is our pizza. And, and that just put a giant smile on my face and gave me more confidence that I already had that this machine is definitely going to take the market by a storm. I'm sure. I mean, what an endorsement of your machine that the chef would say that it made your pizza. I mean, if you think about the level of variety of pizza, you can go to 100,000 different pizza shops and every single one of those is going to taste a little bit different. So to have a machine that you can set up in such a way that it makes that pizza exactly and it's the precise pizza that is supposed to be with this brand is is really a feat of technology. So what is in the machine that, that you guys have been able to program that makes it that exact? Very interesting question. It's a very sophisticated machine. It's full of sensors, it's full of systems. There is an IoT that controls everything, control every temperature, whether it's in the refrigerated area, whether it's in the oven, uh, whether it's on, on the, um, you know, on on any of the parts where we store product or where we store fresh ingredients because this machine has this beautiful window where you can actually watch your your fresh ingredients fall onto your pizza after you picked exactly your own pizza because if ben loves the pepperoni with eggplants he can have the pepperoni with eggplants. They're not preset recipes like some machine that you might have seen out there that have a pre-prep pizza that's being par-baked or frozen or so on. No, this is fresh dough that rolls in front of you and then you have your beautiful um, tomato sauce and your mozzarella and then your pepperoni and your eggplants just like you chose them and then you watch them fall into it and then it goes into the back. But at every single stage of the operation, there are sensors that are able to measure everything, temperature, speed, and all of that, so that 
the timer is always perfect. The the you know sometimes the oven might need a couple of seconds more to recover after it opens up and closes. So the new pizza is not gonna go in until that oven has hit exactly that degree that it needs to be at. But for every single recipe, we we took the time to go through and tested so that we would always have the perfect recipe the way that that chef had designed it and not something that resembles it or maybe doesn't even get close to it. So for us, the quality of the food was the most important thing. The results on the taste was the, the, the paramount because yeah, this machine could be really cool to watch, but if the pizza that comes out is not amazing, people are gonna have it once, maybe twice. They're not gonna come back. We, for us, it's important that people understand that Ben's Pizza is there and they can have it every single day. And, you know, the ability of having um, this pizza not just at the machine, but being delivered to you, whether it's through our KiwiBot or via, um, you know, GrabHub or Uber Eats, you know, anybody can just go on their phones and if they have a Piastro machine near their house, they can or their office, they can just order their Piastro and the, through a completely seam, um, contactless experience, they can order their pizza of choice and receive it at their doorstep uh, in a matter of minutes. That's incredible. So my biggest thing that I'm wondering about this machine is how long does it take the machine to make a pizza? Is it different than how the normal place would make it because it's more of like an in-person experience? Does it take longer or is it is it faster? I want to say that it's faster than most restaurants because we can cook a pizza in a minute and a half to a minute 45, depending on the, depends on the toppings that go on top of it. Um, but, you know, of course, there are some wood-burning pizzerias where they kick up the, uh, the temperatures that are over a thousand. I mean, my, one of my best friends has an oven that goes up to 1200 degrees and he cooks the pizzas in 50 seconds at 1200 degrees. Wow. And the pizza is absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's... Uh, um, that that's just probably the best pizza you can find in the United States and it's here in Los Angeles. I won't tell you who it is. You're going to have to come and visit me so <laughs> we can go together. But it's absolutely brilliant. But, but um, you know, if, if you go to a restaurant, it usually takes about two minutes to cook a pizza. And if you go to a traditional pizza chain, I want to say it can take up to seven, eight minutes to cook a pizza. No, we cook the pizza in less than two minutes you can order your pizza and have it in less than three minutes because that's essential. Nobody really wants to wait that long. If you're coming for, you know, down from your office for lunch, you want to get your pizza and go outside and eat it in the park, right? And so you don't want to wait 15 minutes or, or so. Yeah, that speed is incredible because what it allows people to do is you still get the experience of an authentic pizzeria you're seeing it being made you're seeing your toppings go on you're picking that out and then you see it being made and then it pops out right so you're getting the whole experience still but you're getting it in three minutes versus you know seven to ten minutes i mean i think i've waited at a pizza shop for like 30 minutes for my pizza before so you're finding a way to keep the experience but cut out the time and it is really truly a novel thing too that people i don't think have seen this, uh, as far as I know, is the first pizza vending machine or, or mobile pizzeria that I've ever heard of. So that's really cool. 
Yeah, the fun part I, I, I forgot to mention is that people can actually order in advance and there are uh, smart cabinets on the bottom part of the screen where the pizza gets made and it goes there. So you can order it a couple of hours ahead and you say, okay, I want my pizza for 2 p.m. And the pizza will be made just maybe four or five minutes before. And then it comes and it goes into your smart locker. You have your own code and you just show up with your phone, you scan it right in front of it and it will open only for you. Nobody else can touch your pizza. Wow. Yeah, it's fun. That's... That's a pretty big advancement in uh, what you're able to do. That's really cool. So when are we going to start seeing these? When am I going to have one right down the street that I can go see every night? When When is this all going to start rolling out, do you think? Ben, didn't I tell you I was going to send you one over for your office? Oh, yes. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. I would love one. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. But uh, towards the end of the year, uh, I think, you know, with COVID, it's been very challenging for everyone, especially for engineers. You know, we have a very large team of engineers, both in Santa Monica and in Pasadena. And it's been very hard because you can't get 30 people in an office right now. It's impossible. You know, first of all, you couldn't, right. uh, you know, it was, it was against the law. And now it's, it's, it's still have very heavily regulated. So we can only get a certain number of, of engineers uh, and taking turns, you know, uh, some of them go in the morning, some go in the afternoon, some of them work on the weekend, some of them don't. And so it, it, it's taken us a little bit longer than, than we wanted, but that, I mean, there's nothing that you can do. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit later than we expected, but I want to say you probably see some machines um, early, early, early next year in, in some of the you know, big cities like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Miami, and so on. Sure. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm expectantly waiting for them. I'm very, very excited. So uh, before you go, I have three more questions for you. We ask these of pretty much every single guest. And this is, uh, it's all up to you. There's no correct answer. There's no incorrect answer. It's just whatever you feel. So my first question to you is, if you could be a drink, cocktail, non-alcoholic drink, what would you be and why? Wow. Uh, I want to say a Negroni for a couple of reasons. Once, because I remember when I was a little kid that my grandfather used to let me taste it. Uh, and it's three parts and uh, it's all alcohol. And so I think I'm all alcohol. I'm all energy. And, you know, it's, uh, it's strength, passion and determination those are those are the three things that make my drink. I like that. That's a good answer. My next question for you is if you were on your deathbed right now and there was an unfortunate accident and a Piestro machine fell on you and, and you were going to kick the bucket in a second. Would you have any regrets and, and what would they be? Well, I think that the first regret would have been why wasn't I more careful to not let something fall on me? <laughs> uh, but Gosh, no, I, I want to say no regret. There is no point. There is no point to me even thinking about having regrets because then uh, you're going to make your stomach go into a knot. You know, we all go through hard times in life. You know, uh, I, I'm not going to say the word, but things happen to you no matter what throughout your life. You know, some of us more, some of our less, but you kind of need to understand that it's not 
you can't say, oh my God, this is not fair that this happened to me. It just, it, it just happens. And so uh, there is no point of dwelling on why, why, why. And so I want to say no regrets, no point on it. Awesome. And my last question for you is, are you a good person and why or why not? I thought that the last question was going to be what kind of food you want before you die. And I would have said <laughs> pizza marinara with anchovies and burrata on top of it. Uh, that would definitely be the answer. I, I do think that I am a good person. I, uh, I, I, I love people. I'm so, um, I'm so grateful for all the teachings and all the people that I've been surrounded by whether it's been in my young age with you know my parents and and my relatives uh, or even up to just recently you know falling into this amazing group that is both the wavemaker labs and the um and the kali group which are incredibly talented people that just fuel my passion for food and robotics and 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 so being grateful is is it's something that uh, I think makes me a good person. If I can help anybody, I will help them. You know, no questions asked. Um, I think it's good to be good people. You know, when you, when you go to bed at night, it's nice to know that you've done something right. I agree. Yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it. All right. Well, Massimo, thank you so much for coming on, guys. This has been our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We post every single Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to check out some of our other episodes, you can go to totspodcast.com. That has our entire catalog and all of the information about the show. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email me at marketwithben at gmail.com. Please make sure you follow us on social media. We have TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We've got everything. We are always going to be listed at TOTScast. And then make sure if you are not watching this interview, you go watch it on YouTube. We have almost all of our interviews recorded now, and they're almost all up on YouTube. Our YouTube is just going to be at TOTS Podcast. So you can go check that out there. Thank you guys so much again for listening. You let me do what I love to do, which is interview cool people like Massimo here. And I hope you have a great week. See you next time. Thanks, Ben.